a Podcast One production. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us. And welcome to Hookline and Sinker's Boat Shed. In this series, we invite you to join us as we search for what it is that makes the perfect boat and what it is that probably doesn't. This is episode three, The Maiden Voyage. I'm Luke McCredden, and with me is Andrew Hart and Nick Digan from the hit TV show Hook, Line and Sinker. In the last couple of episodes, we've gone through the steps of what thousands go through each year in things to consider when buying a boat. Be it your first or fifth, the steps are still there and painstaking choices still remain. So with all that knowledge under your belt and ideally a new or used boat, it's time for one of the most nerve-wracking yet satisfying events to ever take place in a boat owner's life, the maiden voyage. But it's unlikely that you're sailing the Caribbean or game fishing the Great Barrier Reef for trip one. Andrew, we're day one of our new boating life. We're keeping it simple is probably ideal. Ideal, absolutely. Like we're, what we're doing, we're going to the local boat ramp. That's where we're going. We're going to drop the boat in the water and we're going to see if she floats and we're going to see if she goes. And we're so excited. We're shaking and we can't really see straight. We're just absolutely <laughs> oh, over the top with excitement, Nick. Andrew, yes, but there will be all <laughs> sorts of extraneous pressures on us from our significant others in our life who, who have been swept up in the boat buying process yeah. and now want to explore explore remote and exotic places in the boat and why shouldn't we do that? Why shouldn't we get out there and reach for the stars? Potentially it will end in disaster. (laughs) Um, So what we probably need to do is just take a step back even before we leave for the boat ramp and run a few sort of checks. Right. Just make sure we've got everything that we need and that way hopefully we'll get home with the boat in one piece still. To take some pressure off is yep. probably not a bad idea. You you may not know this, but I'm a pilot, a, an aircraft <laughs> pilot, and um, the, one of the most important things in aircraft safety is making sure that uh, those external pressures don't yes. come to bear, that you don't get the Swiss cheese effect. That's where uh, various small mistakes uh, line up to create an enormous disaster. <laughs> and in a maiden voyage scenario, I think that's important. You don't want to overreach. So this is no. if this is the first time we are putting the boat in the water. Now, this is something coming up for you and I in a couple of days' time when we yep. take ownership of a brand new 40-year-old boat. We'll, yep. we'll do the maiden voyage uh, Wednesday, I think. Yep. And we're not going to overreach. There, as, despite the fact that there are bluefin tuna swimming around not very far from where we're going to conduct our um, maiden test voyage in that boat, we're, we're not going out there. We're not no, we're going to put it in the water and we're going to see what needs to be done. We're yep. going to see uh, what issues there are. And the, the only way to see that is to put it on the water and to use the boat. The first thing you need to make sure with sort of gearing up is that you're compliant. Yep. So yep, you've just yep, bought the boat. Yep. You don't want to turn up at the boat ramp and for the local police to turn up and then fine you because you you don't have the correct safety gear or the boat's not registered or the trailer's not registered. So make sure you're compliant. Throw in a little disclaimer here that while yes. we're being quite cavalier about all this, that, you know, boating is an environment that does contain risk. There is, uh, There are real dangers out there to befall people. Um Obviously, not very often, and it's not something that should stop you from doing it. But there are, you know, there are minimum requirements for yes. you and for your boat, and there are safety gear that you must carry that is mandated by law. If you don't have it, 
you will be fined and rightfully so. So there are some regulations that you need to get around. All of that stuff typically is very easily available online, you know, whether it's your registration or if you go to your local boat shop or any sort of fishing shop, they'll have all the safety gear that you need. It'll sting you a few hundred bucks, but you will be on the right side of the law and that's important. And also if something goes wrong, you'll yep. potentially get saved with a knee yep. perb or whatever else. Yep. So we're going to be compliant. Then we're going to make sure that we take in our boat some simple items, a rope. Yep. I've put a brand new boat in the water before. Mm. No rope. You put it in the water. How am I going to tie this thing up to the jetty? You know, in my excitement, yes. I forgot the rope. Yes. So we're going to take some ropes. We're going to take some fenders. Yep. Good. We're going to make sure that the battery's good because the battery is what starts the engine in most cases, unless it's a little pull start tiller engine. We're going to make sure that the battery's either new or charged or good. If you've just bought the boat from the side of the road, you know, the battery can often be an issue, particularly if the boat's sat around for four or five years in someone else's yard not used. The battery's probably cactus. Likewise, the fuel in that scenario, yes. particularly, you know, if, if you are buying a boat that has one of the older school sort of uh, two-stroke outboards and particularly ones that you mix the oil in the fuel, you know, it's going back a few years admittedly. But if that fuel has been laying around for, you know, even a relatively short period of time, a couple of months, it will lose its fueliness and it yes. won't work, Luke, and, mm. you know, you'll be down there cranking your brand new boat over it and it won't go. So find a way to dispose of any old stale fuel that's laying around and get some fresh stuff because um, that makes a big difference. And steering's worth checking as well because if a boat's been sitting around for years, often the steering, particularly the old cable steering, will sort of seize up. So make sure that she steers because otherwise you'll put it in the water, push it off the trailer or drive it off the trailer and you go in a straight line because you've got no steerage, which and is embarrassing. And you crash into everything. Yeah, you yeah. crash into everything. So we're just going to take a step back from our excitement and just, just make sure that we're compliant and that we've got the few bits and pieces that we need on board to, to make sure that, well, the boat goes with a new battery and good fuel and we've got ropes and things like that to tie up the boat with. Yeah, and I suppose the other part of that is the safety gear, Andrew. It's a major, major part. The compliance part that you mentioned, obviously. Um, but further to that, and I don't want to, I don't want to be brushing over safety gear, Nick. But mm. what I will say is, in all states, the access to what you need and what everyone needs within their boat is very, very easily found online or in their, yep. in, in yep. you know, in the the handbooks. Yep. But what I will say is, finding it and knowing where it is once you've got it in the boat is. Very, very, very important because to get serious for a second, if you are the captain, this is your boat, anyone on board, you are absolutely fully responsible for. You are the skipper, you are responsible. So um, I guess, you know, if you've got people coming with you, which you will have for your maiden voyage, important on this voyage and all subsequent voyages, that people coming onto your boat know where your safety equipment is and they know how it works. You know, if they have to inflate a life jacket, do they know how that goes? If they have to get hold of the flares or uh, use the radio, do they know how to do that? So it's worth... We did an interesting thing the other day... Um, I think it was an, an initiative that started in Western Australia called the 30 Second Challenge. And this is, um, you know, a little test that you can do at home with your boat and with your crew. And that is getting out all your safety gear as required and getting off a, um, a mayday call to the local authorities. And I think potentially having your EPIRB armed and ready to go all in the space of 30 seconds. I guess what happens with most boats and with most boating families is the safety gear tends to be one of those items that you're not accessing that often, you know, very rarely, uh, hopefully, do you need um, to access your safety gear in the heat of the moment. So it, it tends to get stowed at ever 
deeper extremities of the boat, you know, under <laughs> yeah. things and put away and oh, we don't need that. We'll put that, put that up there to give you more room for other stuff. So this 30 second challenge idea is, is just a way of, I guess, focusing people's idea that if something untoward does happen, God forbid it doesn't, that it happens quickly. You know, you're not going to have a whole lot of time to be ferreting around under bunks and things looking for this or that or that piece of safety gear that you need desperately at the time. So it's about having it where it um, should be, where you can get at it and use it quickly. Mm, I think if you're the captain and you're yep. sitting in the captain's chair, yep. arm's reach is key. Yep. Fire extinguisher, yep. Those EPIRB, sorts of things. radio. Yep. yep. You're not going to get a whole lot of prior warning. No, just give it some thought. That's yep. the key. Yep. Don't just buy the safety gear, chuck it on board and forget about it. Just give it some thought. So safety gear is good to go. Uh, mm. Boat's good to go. You're pretty confident that it's, she's going to start. You've filled it up at the survey dogs. Yep, filled her up. We do need to beware that she will use the fuel. If you are new to boating, yes. this is something that you'll need to get your head around. Boats are shocking gas guzzlers. They chew the juice. In the old sort of parlance, we're talking about maybe three to five miles to the gallon. I don't even know whether that is. So that's, um, <laughs> that's you know. Can you tell us, Mr. Pilot? Yeah, well, three to five miles <laughs> to the gallon is not good. You know, out of your massive big petrol-powered F truck, you're probably getting 10. Yeah. So boats chew the juice. Yes, even now. So our biggest boat in our fleet that we have at the moment is a 25-foot yep. trailer boat, but she's a big rig. Yep. She's got two beautiful Yamaha 200 four-strokes on it, yep. and we go on and on about how good with it is. With the fuel economy is. Yep. With fuel economy, and it is. But it still uses 40 litres of fuel an Every hour. hour. Yep. 40 litres an hour yep. at mm. cruise. So, And if you're not a boatie, that, that seems like a lot, a lot. It's quite more a lot than my Camry. Yes, it is. Yes. Yes. So just bear that in mind. So the, the rule of thumb is uh, go out with a full tank. Yep. That makes sense. What's the rule of thumb? I think the rule of thumb, <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm pleased you... Uh, I mean, I'm a coxswain. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, but, yeah. And, uh, who asked you, fella? I yeah. know boats. Yeah. Look, the rule of thumb that I'm going to go for, Hardy, is... It's something about thirds. A third to yeah. get there, a third to get home, and a third in reserve. Because the other thing to bear in mind with fuel is your fuel use changes fairly dramatically in line with what the weather does. It does. Good um, point. So in an optimal conditions, you might your boat might use 20 litres per hour. Yep. It might be going along beautiful. When it's rough and windy and the tide's going the wrong way, it might use 33 litres per hour to cover the same amount of distance. And that's in your fuel calculations, is going to make some um, fairly big holes in it. So... Be sure to give yourself enough reserve. It's not a happy place to be in a boat needing to get somewhere looking at your fuel reserves running low, which happened to me the other day in the yacht. (laughs) (laughs) Don't doubt it. (laughs) That's because you were too tight. Yes, it was. Because you needed a new fuel tank. It was only a very small engine. Yeah. (laughs) Surprising thirst. I'm not surprised. Um, So, no, boats use fuel, Luke. They certainly do, Andrew. And Nick, um, boat trailers are something that need to be sort of considered as well. Look, this is something that we've glossed over a little bit in previous episodes, Luke, but it should be pointed out that boat trailers are evil. Mm. They are coming to basically kill you. Um, (laughs) If not today, then tomorrow or sometime down the track. A new boat trailer is a thing of beauty where all the component parts work, but Mm. it should be very much noted that that trailer from that day is just plotting a way to bring you down. They sort of (laughs) cop it pretty bad, don't they? they? Because you drop them, you dip them in salt Mm. water. 
yep. all the time. You never rinse it off properly. No. You can hose it, but yep. let's be honest, you know, the you salt get is in there, there doing damage to yep. the bits it can do damage to. And not only that, it's got a big heavy boat on it. And you're sort of hurling down, hurtling down the highway at 100 kilometres an hour and the boat is bouncing up and down and, and, you know, the trailer does a very good job to keep the boat up off the road and tow it along. We've been fortunate enough to have uh, new trailers under the new boats that yep. we buy and they're great. Yep. I think you could probably get three years down the track before your trailer starts hatching the plan to kill you. Yeah. But, uh, you know, post that sort of honeymoon period, they're coming with the knives out. So the things that go wrong, Hardy, are the wheel bearings and the brakes. Obviously, these are... Oh, trailer brakes. You know, Don't get me started on trailer brakes. And let's talk about salt water for the time being. So you tow your boat down the road, everything gets hot, the brakes are hot, the wheel bearings are hot, and yeah. then you get to the boat ramp and you dunk it in the cold water, which has a cooling effect, which has a sucking effect, Luke, which sucks cold water and salt water into the bearing cavities, which then starts corroding them. Uh, all the rollers then start to rust and wobble and whatever, and the, the pins that hold it together expand and pop them. So maintenance, if you are of a person that is prepared to do maintenance do maintenance on your boat trail. It's the best time you'll ever spend. You know, if you can be bothered unpacking and repacking your boat trailer wheel bearings on an annual basis, then my hat is off to you. Mm. Um, we will sometimes pay people to do that for us, Andrew. It's worth doing. It's a horrible place to be on the side of the road. How much would you pay, dogs? When yep. And I know you've been stuck on the road like yep. I have. Yep. Um, you know, how much would you have paid to get your wheel bearings checked when you are just yep. stuck? We, we went past a bloke. We did, recently did a lap of Australia where we yep. towed a 7.8 metre boat the entire way around the country. Should be noted that that trailer performed faultlessly. Absolutely. But we went past a fellow who just left Exmouth in the Western Australia and was sort of some, I don't know, four or 500 k's down the road. And he had just blown his last spare tyre. I think he'd blew five tyres or something yes. uh, in 40-degree Pilbara heat and was sitting on the side of the road yes. with his boat. Just about over it. Yes. That was in a day, his fifth tyre in a day. Something Clearly something wasn't right. But, uh, you know, the point you make, Hardy, is that boat trailers do it pretty tough and if something gets a bit out of alignment, yeah. you know, if there's an axle that's pointing the wrong way or whatever, they will give problems. The other area where boat trailers are evil potentially is the launching and retrieving. You know, a well-set-up boat trailer is a thing of beauty and you will watch, if you've got an ordinary trailer, you will watch people with good trailers drive their boat on, drive their boat off and it seems effortless and easy and it kind of is. But if your trailer is a, a dog and the boat <laughs> won't load straight, won't come off properly, it just decreases the enjoyability yes. of using your boat and trailer combination a lot. Yes. Um, and look, I recently had major boat trailer issues in that the trailer was wrong for the boat. Oh, yeah. Uh, really and, and punched two two massive holes and one and a third holes. smaller hole in the bottom of my fiberglass boat that I just spent two years doing up, which was devastating. <coughs> um, but that was because the trailer was wrong for the boat. It didn't have proper keel support and it was a fully rolled trailer. So if you buy a secondhand boat, yeah. there is a reasonable prospect, uh, yes. not in every case, but in, there is a reasonable prospect that the trailer your boat is sitting on may be doing damage to your boat. It's it's certainly not the first time that's happened. Yes, boat trailers are evil. Buy a new one if you can. Yep. As, um, as, good, a, as good a boat trailer as you can afford yes. would be our advice. It makes it a whole lot better. We don't follow that advice often. Luke, no. We <laughs> usually find ourselves with the worst old boat trailers. 
You're listening to Hook, Line and Sinker's Bud Shed with Luke McCredden, Andrew Hart and Nick Dygan. If you're enjoying the series, give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Just hit five stars and tell us what you like about the series and why. You can get in touch with us and say day on our Facebook page, Hook, Line and Sinker, Australian Fishing Show. You mentioned launching. Yep. A big part of, obviously, boating. <laughs> you got to put the boat in the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should just touch on a few little points for the launching process, Andrew. Bit of etiquette? Boat ramp etiquette. Yeah. yeah. I oh, like this. a huge chapter. Isn't it? A boat ramp's actually not a bad way to fill in the morning. Even if you're not going boating, just go down to a busy <laughs> boat ramp and watch what goes on. There's um, a thing called ramp rage. Yeah, there's Which is a real often. thing. Let's look at some boat ramp etiquette. So your boat's often got tie-down straps on it or, you know, there's things that you need to do like put the bungs in. Put the aerials um, up. Put the aerials up. Put your fishing rods in the in the rod holders. Get stuff out of the car, put it in the boat. Yep. So, you know, it ta- you'd pull up at the boat ramp and it might take you five or ten minutes to get ready just to put the boat in the water. Yep. Don't do that on the ramp. Do that no, away no. from the ramp. Do that... In the loading, in the bay that's designated for doing that. Generally don't, speaking, most don't back you, down the ramp and do it there. Big boat ramps will have an area designated for yep. sort of pre-prep. Yes, and you pull up there and you do all that. Yeah, if you back your boat to the point where it is ready to launch and start faffing around, yes, uh, you will incur the wrath. Depending where you are, you know, there here in Melbourne, like there are some really busy boat ramps that oh, yeah. see, you know, hundreds yep. of people launching and they've all got up very early in the morning and they're all keen to go out and do what they want to do. Mm. Um, and if you are going to hold them up for a period of eight minutes, mm. yep. they're going to tell you about it. I've got one. And, and on that, uh, some of the boat ramps here, extremely busy, but particularly through snapper season in, yep. in Melbourne. Yep. Uh, a lot of people launch their boats early in the morning before the sun's up. So Four o'clock. Absolutely. Three mm. o'clock. Three o'clock. Oh, That's early. early. One of the things that happens is as the cars are going down the ramp mm-hmm. backwards, yep. the car is on an angle pointing up. Yes. And if your headlights are on, yes. you will blind the entire boat ramp, car park facility. I see. So what I'm saying is turn the headlights off when you are backing down. You this don't need pro them tip. because you're going backwards. I, yeah. didn't, I didn't know that because no. I don't often get up before the... No. no. <laughs> yeah. That is something to think about and it, and it is real because especially if there's a few ramps next to each other, your headlights are on they're anyone else who's trying yes, to come backwards. Say anything. It can cause carnage. Well, that's uh, that's not bad. My, my great boat ramp tip is just to... Take it easy. Just and if you're down there and you feel like you're going to give some advice, don't. <laughs> Just probably neck up a bit. We've all, yes, I know you're an expert. Thank you. We're all just going about our business, and you you will get to the ramp, and there'll be people down there who think they know everything and what you should be doing and how you should do this. And unless someone is genuinely struggling and in need of help, mm. I would say just chillax. Enjoy the show. Everything will be okay. We probably don't need to hear your opinions. Thanks very much. I think that's right. And also, as you're launching your boat, try yep. and stay calm. There's some oh, people close in my life <laughs> uh, who have a big boat, yep. and every time they launch it, yep. uh, husband and wife, yep. there is screaming yes. going on. Absolute yes. screaming. Yes. From the time the boat gets into the water <laughs> to the time they've finally got it tied up, they are screaming <laughs> at each other. And the whole marina stops and watches, and it's 
I have to walk away. It's incredibly yes. embarrassing. Yes. Spectator sport. It, uh, no, it's a, it's a time of heightened awareness <laughs> of things going on at the boat ramp. All right. I think I think it's time to put the boat in the water now. Yep. We've covered that. Yep. I'm confident that people are, are across that now. Um, We've got the tie-downs off. Everything's, everything's right. The boat is in the water and tied up to the jetty, and it is time to push off mm. for the first time. For first-time boat drivers, yeah. it's not the same as a car. Look, it's not the same. <laughs> Sadly, it's not the same as the car. And and the sort of scenario that we've just described um, of putting the boat in amongst other people and other boats, you know, unfortunately, the first part of your journey is probably going to be your most technically challenging given mm. there are things uh, to hit. Things to hit. There are, um, you're going to put your boat in reverse and, and you're going to steer it and it's going to go the wrong way because boats like Forklifts, Andrew, steer from the back. Um, and I don't believe you've got a forklift ticket. So if your boat is laying alongside, for example, and you want to pull out as you would in your car and you select forward gear and turn the wheel uh, right hand down, what really is going to happen is you're going to drive the stern of your boat <laughs> into the um, into the wharf or whatever it is you're tied up against. Mm. sort of quite hard and you're going to go, oh, God, I didn't expect that. And someone's going to yell at you. Yeah, they're going to go, what are you doing, you yeah. idiot? I yeah. know boats. Yeah. So there's a few things like that. Yep. So what would you do? I would I would have someone push the aft out. Yep. And then bad. just sort of select reverse and, and away you go. Yep. If you can, or push the bow out. Because we're talking probably small boats that can be manhandled around the place. Lots of things to observe around the marina too, Andrew. Obviously, there is usually a channel of which you yes. need to stick to. Yes. Um, speed limits. Good way to make a, a spectacle of yourself is to put the boat in the water, then go sort of seventy meters and and go straight up onto the <laughs> onto uh, the hard. And then the tide goes out and you're left sitting there for six hours while other boats come and go, and you're sitting there in your new boat. And everyone will ask, "You're right, mate." Yeah, 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 no, pretty good thing. Just resting. <laughs> just, yeah. uh, just uh, waiting. <laughs> I've been, we've been uh, stuck uh, high and dry and it's it's annoying it, and it does take a long time for the tide to, well, firstly go out and, and, <laughs> and high and dry and then in. come back in. Yeah, um, it does. It does happen. Um, so, look, I guess most, you know, marinas will have their own local little hazards. So there'll be channels and they're marked with a red and green marker. But a lot of a lot of areas also have a rock here or a rock there or a sandbar here. So maybe just ask the locals and sort of think about your exit out of the marina before you find yourself in the boat driving along. Some of those marinas that you're talking about have reasonably long channels and worth kind of uh, highlighting the fact that here in Australia, even though we drive our cars on the left-hand side of the road mm. in our boats, we are on the right-hand side. So um, that's a little bit confusing too. You're keeping your eye on which channel marker you're supposed to be passing on which side and which where the boat's coming yeah, from and who so you're giving way to. Just try and be on top of all that. Yes. Um, by way of advice, I'm not sure what advice I'd give. Just take it easy and give yourself as much time as you can probably. Stay out of everybody's way. Follow other boats out. Yep. Follow right. the locals out. Yep. You know, and if there's things like bar crossings or something like that, probably don't do that on the maiden voyage. But, you know, if you are going to do it, be sure that you know what you're going to do and commit to it. 
Once you get out to sea, there are a few other things to think about when you're in clear water and let's assume that this is a planing boat, a boat that gets up and goes, just in terms of the specifics of driving. You know, outboard boats and stern drive boats have a trim function so you can you can uh, dictate how much the bow sits down in the water. So that's something you need to get your head around. You know, rule of thumb is if you're going into the waves, you give it a bit more down trim. If you're heading with the waves, you trim the bow out a bit little things like that. And also the way your boat's loaded. Boats, particularly monohull boats, are really sensitive to where the load is in the boat. Yeah, if you, if you don't have trim tabs, uh, well, if you do have trim tabs, you can use those to sort of steady the ride. But yeah, you know, if someone is sitting uh, on the starboard side, just get them to shift into the middle and you'll find that it'll it'll make all the difference. Yeah, and it makes a huge sort of difference to the way the boat will go. Like yes. if your boat's laying down on one side, it'll ride really hard because it'll hit on that rather than hitting on the nice pointy bit at the bottom. Yep. It'll hit on the, heart, on the flat side of the chine and, you know, bang and make it unpleasant for everybody on board. There's also a sweet spot. Yep. In a boat. So when we're cruising along, you know, we, we don't want to drive around everywhere at wide open throttle, as tempting as that may be. Yes. You know, the boat's going to, they're probably going to go too fast for you to do that, given the sea state. So not only that, they'll use three times the amount of fuel. So you're going to be driving the boat somewhere in the mid range of revs. And it just comes with experience, but you'll find that there is a sweet spot for the boat where it is all, it is up out of the water, planing along nicely. The motor's just humming along and that'll be the most economic spot, economical spot for the boat and also the most comfortable ride. Yeah, and that's important too, you know, for people who are in your boat on your maiden voyage, you know, or in subsequent voyages and even now, you know, you want it to be a pleasant experience for the people that are along for the ride. So modulate your speed. For uh, who you got on board, if you got if it's full of your mates, we'll give her the herbs. But if it's um, <laughs> if it's uh, Granny and the kiddies, yeah. just uh, back off a little bit, Luke. I know you like to go fast. Yeah, I do. I do like to go fast, Nick. But I also like to take it easy and put the anchor down and just have a nice relaxing day, whether I'm fishing or just just hanging out. All right, let's have your anchoring technique, Lukey, my boy. Uh, Press the button on the on the dash and let the anchor get down to the bottom. And making sure that it's it's set. So there's a there's so a, you've got a, an electric anchor winch. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. yeah. Sure, you're. Yeah, well, it's a bit lardy, well, isn't it? Lardy, isn't it? Anchor winch. An anchor winch. Many years, as many people have burning hands with ropes and chains mm. and so forth. I like to use a winch, but uh, it should be said that there is a, a little window there where we're not sure if you're actually. Holding, Anchored, yeah. Yes. So there's a, there's various techniques, various styles of anchors too, depending on the ground that you that you're over. So sometimes you can whack it in reverse to really dig it in, sink it in. Yep. Uh, and other times you can you can just sort of sit and wait, check your GPS or your whatever you're using to see if you're still moving. Other than that, I think it's uh, fairly straightforward, Nick. Once yeah, you said it's time I, to put look, the feet up. Um, I like to I like to anchor on sand. So, you know, we will snooze around to find a nice little spot of a patch of sand if I'm in weedy bottom to put the anchor down. Um, The other thing to bear in mind is with anchoring, Andrew, it's often, and you'd know this from your coxswains course probably, or you may have forgotten it. Of course I do. It's typically the chain that does your work. Mm. Um, So... The amount of rope you let out or the amount of line you let out, the anchor road is actually important. And it's a, uh, you know, it's a, a factor based on how deep you are, Drew. Look, Nick, in anchoring, more yep. is more. Yeah, um, correct. More just is more. chuck a heap of rope out. Yep. Chuck a heap of chain out. Because the, the biggest mistake you can make is if you're in four metres of water to put out four metres of anchor 
right. road. Yeah. Um, because it won't hold you. Uh, you know, put – I think the rule is three to one as a minimum. So, I you know, think that's right. You hit, four you hit. metres, we're putting 12 metres out. But just put 20 metres out. I mean – since we've had our yacht, I've obviously been reading a bit of Cruising Helmsman, uh, which is a publication dedicated to the yachting scene. And uh, look, they they are mad on anchoring. And um, seven to one, you, you know, some yachties people... would be. Yachties, yachties are, would Some be. yachties are saying seven uh, to one. So you can imagine that what conversation. A yeah. What a bore. How much are you putting out, Peter? I put out six to one. Uh, <laughs> not enough. One, not enough. No, but just put a heap out. And, and yeah, as you say, like, just give her a little knock in reverse to see if you're holding and away you go. So the only thing I would say about putting a heap out is if you are in, a, in an area that's got a few boats yeah, kicking area, around. Swing. It's, yeah, yeah, you swing. Watch your swing so you will yeah. swing, um, yes. you know, as the breeze sort of fluctuates yes. through its rotation, you, your boat will move. So yes. if you have got uh, seven to one out, yes. which is potentially a lot, you'll move a lot. And anchor in enough water because the tide will go out. We were once doing a circumnavigation of Tasmania, which is no small undertaking in a trailer boat, Luke, and found ourselves on the west coast of Tassie, which is a very, very, very remote part of the world, as it turns out. There's sort of 100 miles from Strawn down to the bottom of Tasmania and two-thirds of the way down there, there's a place called Bathurst Harbour, which is a remarkable place. Anyway, we pulled in there for the night to spend our, our night and congratulating ourselves on how we'd, mm. um, you know, bested this remote part of the world, put the anchor out, meaning to get it away at a pretty good early time the next morning, only to find the boat high and dry at about four o'clock in the morning and having to wait for the tide to come in, Drew. Happens to the best of us, Nick. <laughs> um, so, you know, I understand that the tide does come in yes, and out. Yes. Uh, and it's easy actually to find that information. There are yes. tide guides. We didn't look at that at Bathurst Harbour, but um, but if look, if you've got a phone, you've got a tide guide, correct, and a, and and a, a weather guide report, and, yes, yep, all that um, stuff. So we've put our boat in. We've driven it to a nice little bay. We've dropped the anchor. Let's have a little fish. Sure. Let's have a little fish. Let's have the kids have a little swim. Yeah, that's what boating is all about. So, you know, we're, we're now actually enjoying the boat without giving it too much more thought. We're sort of out there doing what we're meant to be doing, having a good time. Until it comes to the point where we've got to put the boat back on the trailer, which is, I guess, the um, the next kind of hurdle in all of this. If assuming our boating and swimming and fishing has gone well and it's come time to finish the day and drive the boat home, uh, you're going to be at the pointy end of the boat ramp once again, putting your boat back on the trailer. And there are kind of two schools of thought on this. There's the drive-on school and the there's the winch on school. Yeah, it's funny where you, as you go around the place, like in Perth, Western Australia, for example, they seem very reluctant to drive their boats on the trailer. So a lot of them winch it on for some reason. Mm. I don't know. But, um, you know, boat ramps here in Melbourne, I think it's quite common to see people just sort of drive their boat onto the trailer. We do it. Yep. Uh, if the trailer's set up for it, it's fine. Yeah, and, and we should make that point that some trailers, it's very easy to do that. Some trailers you'll find it's virtually impossible to drive on. Bunkered trailers are difficult to drive on in some circumstances. So it, it's worth talking to the person from whom you bought the boat, I guess, to decide yes. whether that trailer is uh, is a good driver on or, or not. Yeah. So, I mean, retrieving it with the winch is as it sounds. You just basically nudge the boat up to the trailer, hook the little hook from the winch on and, and then have someone wind it up. That's easy. It's sort of foolproof. Yep. Driving it on, you need to be confident 
Mm-hmm. Um, we get, so we're going to be driving it, you know, from a distance back. There's going to be current and there's going to be wind. So if you start aiming directly at the middle of the trailer with the middle of the boat from, you know, 25 yards out, potentially by the time you get there, you're going to be off course because of the wind or the current. So you need to bear that in mind and uh, allow for that. This is typically another time where husband and wife will be screaming at each other. <laughs> Yes. Um, as we retrieve the boat. So, yeah. you know, look, if you want to winch your boat onto the trailer, that's okay. Don't feel that that's that you can't do that. You can do that. That's okay. You know, some people don't like to back their wheel bearings in, Drew, so they'll, uh, they'll stop the trailer just shy of the wheel bearings going under Ooh, the water yes, and that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, it's not what I do, but... The drive-on option, um, should be said, is something that will get better with practice. So oh, yeah. if you, you, no you'll doubt. be rusty at the start. Yep. Just the more you do it, the better you'll get. So yep. don't stress like it. It takes anything. a couple of times. Exactly, yep. exactly. One question or one one thing I should say that my dad drilled into me as a young yep. boaty yep. was always flush. Always, always flush. flush. It's a yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, this obviously is the idea of uh, when you get home, you um, put the muffs on your outboard engine or your stern drive engine and you connect it up to a hose and you fire the whole thing up and you run fresh water through it, much to the disgust of the neighbours because they're loud without mm. uh, water to keep them quiet and, you know, smoky if they're a two-stroke. And supposedly you wash all the salt out of the innards of your outboard, Hardy. I haven't seen you doing too much flushing, though. Oh, look, no, I I give it a hose. I give the whole boat a hose. Yeah. I give the trailer a bit of a hose, yeah. the boat a hose. Yeah. Try to wash off all the fish guts because I've caught a heap of fish, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but, look, I give, I give the, the motor a hose. I haven't done a lot of flushing uh, in recent time, to be honest with you. I don't know why. Well, I get it serviced every 100 hours and there's no evidence that not flushing it's actually doing it any, doing harm. It any harm. Do they look, do you think? At the cooling passages. What's your thoughts? On Look, my flushing? thoughts are if you're using the boat regularly, yeah. don't worry so much. But if you're laying it up for a period of time, by all means, flush it. Yeah. It, it can't hurt to flush it. By all means, flush it. By all don't means, flush let it. Let us that's sit part here of what and you say do. no, don't no, flush it. No, flush um, if you feel like it. But, you know, there are big outboard-powered boats that live in the water that don't get flushed. And no. they're fine. Yeah. Um, but I think probably, like all things on your boat, use doesn't hurt it. No. Uh, the lack of use is probably what does Absolutely. more damage. So boats, you know, boats that are laid up for years, you might find a boat, um, you know, that hasn't been used in five years and you think, oh, that's good. It's yeah. low hours. hasn't been used in five years. They're typically the ones that give you problems. Everything's they, going to break. Everything is sort of a bit cactus because it hasn't been used. So don't be afraid of use. Well, there it is. Congratulations on your maiden voyage. And uh, it's exciting time for anyone that's uh, a boat owner. But let me say, if you've survived that and still had fun, it's time to make the boat even better, Andrew, because in the next episode... We're going to pimp out a boat. We're going to fit it out with all the bells and whistles and go through some of the things that are available and whether or not they're really worth it. What do they say? Boat, bring on another thousand, and that's what we're going to be doing. Because a boat is never finished, Luke. Boats are always a work in progress. Hook, Line & Sinker is a Podcast One Australia production. Produced by Dave Zwolenski. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Darcy Thompson.